So I'm ready to go. Let's do it. My name is Ana Jimena Sosa, and I'm the host for the iTrella podcast show. With us today is Representative Alex Dominguez from State District 37, which covers half of Cameron County, including Boca Chica, where SpaceX is located. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Um, I saw in your bio on the Texas House website that you served on three appropriation committees. Could you share with us what that role of the appropriation committee is? Sure, certainly. In, in general, the House Appropriations Committee is a committee that deals with all the finances and the budget for the entire state of Texas. Uh, there is a, a comparable committee in the Senate known as the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, the House Appropriations Committee is comprised of 27 members. It's a very large committee. Uh, and because it's so large, we break it down into subcommittees. Uh, of those committees, I work on different articles, including articles 6, 7, and 8 that deal primarily with infrastructure needs in addition to agriculture, state agency funding, uh, energy grid, for example. And I also sit on the this newer subcommittee on federal funds. So whenever we get federal grants come in, that committee should be taking a look at that in addition to voting on the committee as a whole. Okay, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, and Representative Dominguez, um, what a year it's been for the Texas legislator, especially when a group of members walked out and broke quorum, which stopped business in the legislature, and the group ended up in Washington, D.C. So now, after returning from D.C. and one special session after another, uh, I believe it was three special sessions, right, back to back. What impression from that experience can you share with us? You know, I think what it showed us is that there is a, a deep divide between the extremes of, of both of our parties. And what I mean by that is there were a number of our colleagues that were Republicans that were sympathetic uh, to our position, but were themselves handcuffed from saying so out loud to saying, I understand why the Democrats are holding strong on these issues, but if I say anything publicly, there will be a primary challenger to challenge me in the next election. And that's why when that kind of stuff happens, people tend to, to hide a bit and, I think the Texas legislature, like really any elected office, is not one for people that are concerned merely about their own reelection when they should be more concerned about how our laws affect people in a, in a very real way. Thank you for sharing. And um, well, now moving on to our first topic. Um, this first topic concerns high speed broadband, especially in schools. And before we get to our first question, I'd like to share the following. Um, so since 2015, consecutive student members of STYC or South Texas Youth Congress, the group that we're part of, have presented proposals in the Texas legislature to connect schools with high-speed broadband. And each time the bill's passed by the House by big margins, it goes on and it gets stuck in the Senate. So I'd like to read something from the video script current STYC members are working on, and it goes something like this. Um, imagine for a moment students from across South Texas go on a field trip to witness a rocket launch at SpaceX site in Boca Chica. Imagine them now returning to their classrooms after the trip or remaining connected live with other classrooms, exploring and collaborating on a common project. Imagine that. So after looking at that, we understand that the infrastructure bill signed by President Biden includes 35 billion for Texas. And according to the Texas Tribute in a report published recently, at least 100 million go to expand high-speed internet. I saw in the last session you were part of um, the Texas Infrastructure Residency 
fund advisory. How do you see infrastructure funds for broadband in the RGB rolling out with this funds? Uh, so there are going to be certainly different ways in how we're going to be addressing infrastructure in general and broadband specifically. This past legislature, we also passed our own broadband bill called House Bill 5. I was a co-author of that bill, and it's meant to increase access to broadband throughout the entire state. I think the one thing that we learned from broadband is different communities suffered, not just from the physical ailments of COVID, but from all of those students and families that were unable to work from home because they did not have reliable internet. Even in our own community, at times, AT&T tried to set up uh, little local hotspots but they themselves were not able to get a signal to be able to power those spots. Uh, so it became a very difficult thing. We needed to have physical landlines. And thankfully, we had a number of utilities that were willing to be part of the solution. One thing that we learned is that we have a lot of utility poles all over the state that are already used to transmit energy. But we can use those same poles to line up coaxial cable, which is an old technology, but it is very reliable. And I think many people who have cable internet at their homes or at their, their jobs use this old type of coax cable. It's still a very efficient way of transmitting data. So that's one way where the Texas legislature has already dedicated funds to be providing access here in this state. So it's not just the, the, the rural areas, but also some very important urban areas as well. As far as how the, the federal funds will be put to use down here, well, typically local communities belong to what's called an MPO, a, a Metropolitan Planning Organization that's comprised of representatives from city government, so such as the uh, city mayor or commissioner, along with some county officials and some uh, different entities. I know the one here in South Texas has members from the school district, county government, city government, uh, and a few others that are appointed kind of like an at large. And they are the ones that will be using their planning methods to best lay out where infrastructure dollars should be spent. So it's very important for our members and your listeners to find out when these MPO meetings are being held because there is a public comment period where they can give suggestions and give input so that these members of the MPO know that the public is watching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, the digital divide has been something that we've seen. Our group was talking about it before COVID started, but I think with the pandemic, there was definitely a like more light shed on the issue because everyone had to go home. People were working from home. Kids were doing school from home. Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, needs attention. And with the Build Back Better plan, provide funds to help schools connect to high-speed broadband, like with fiber optic lines, and can schools do, um, can they do something to gear up to install infrastructure to support fiber optic lines? Well, that depends on the utility provider. For example, in here in South Texas in Brownsville, which is the largest city in South Texas, we've only really received uh, notice of fiber in the past several months. Mm -hmm. Think about how long they've had fiber in, in the capital of Texas you know, for, for years. And we've we've always heard these urban legends of how fast Google Fiber is, you know, one gigabyte a second kind of speeds. And, and we are just now touching on that here. I imagine much of that is driven by just economics and competition. If there are there's not a great demand down here for fiber, then there won't be people asking for it. So it's 
it's almost a, a like a tautological argument. Nobody wants it, so no one's going to pay money to increase it. But because nobody is getting it, it will never come down, and they won't have competition, and the price will stay high. The price stays high, nobody will want it. So we're glad that we think that the Build Back Better program should incentivize these providers to offer fiber because it will be subsidized. And it's not just enough that the schools themselves have access to fiber. We really need to be getting these speeds into people's homes. I still see students in the early afternoons or evenings sitting outside very close to say a, a McDonald's fast food place that has free Wi-Fi. And that tells me they don't have internet at home. And if that's the case, they are at a disadvantage compared to other students similarly situated in other parts of the city or those who are economically more fortunate in other parts of the state. And they will all be competing to apply for those jobs, uh, those college scholarships. And it's going to be much harder for those, especially people of color who live in economically distressed areas who simply don't have the finances or resources to get something basic, which I consider a utility, being the internet. Definitely. Um, and so you mentioned how it becomes a cycle. Um, it's high, people don't want to pay for it. But we saw that um, the city council of FAR recently authorized an investment to install around 400 miles of fiber optic cable, which would be available to its residents and to businesses to access as an ISP. And we've been talking about schools in the area connecting to the city's fiber optic infrastructure to connect to the national fiber optic backbone, creating a full digitized fiber line from the schools to the national backbone. And with this in mind, our question is, can a school connect to an existing fiber optic network owned by the city to create a reliable fiber optic internet connection? There's no reason why they couldn't, but they also don't have to rely on the cities to do that. They already have the finances to tie into these fiber lines or even high speed other lines. For example, schools were one of the first entities in, in this state for the past 20 years to be able to tie into a T1 or T3 line. And those were extremely fast. Even by today's standards, they're still pretty fast. So schools have always had the resources. When we, when we think about the budgets and communities, school districts typically have far more money than the cities or the counties do. For example, in, in South Texas, the largest employer is the Brownsville Independent School District in all of South Texas. So when we put that uh, in comparison, that lets us know how much money they have available to them. Now, how much are they dedicating to this type of telecommunication infrastructure? That will depend on those school board members. We know that it's imperative for schools to be tied into high speed, but how often are schools actually downloading and uploading information to the net? If we think about how classrooms operate, yes, there will be times where they need to demonstrate a video or they want to see a live feed of, say, a medical procedure taking place or a rocket launch taking place. But those moments are not all that common. They're special days. Most classroom education is not being taught online once things get back to normal. Now, certainly during COVID times when there was a lot of remote learning, we put a great strain on our Internet resources. But I think as we transition back into a traditional school classroom, we will see less and less of that. That doesn't mean that schools shouldn't have access to high speed. I think the priority should be for the community as a whole to be able to tie in to this high speed fiber. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that there's 
schools have a large budget to to invest in this. Why has it not been done in the past? Or if it has, can you share with us like the investment that's been done for broadband access? Well, certainly, like like any governmental unit, uh, schools have a, a budget and they need to decide what their priorities are. Mm-hmm. I would hope that their first priority is uh, facilities to make sure that they are safe, uh, the roof doesn't leak, they have air conditioning and heating, they have enough money for meals for their students, they have adequate transportation to bring the students in. And let's not forget, we need to make sure that our educators are being paid a very good wage so that they stay in this business. We don't, we can't afford to lose very experienced educators. So when we start talking about how much of a budget should be dedicated to high-speed internet, we need to almost do a survey of those educators. Which educators or which uh, grade school level, which grade school subjects need the most high-speed bandwidth? Certainly athletics probably won't need a whole bunch of internet Uh, because they're mostly going to be out in the field or in the gym doing exercises. Uh, Will second and third graders need a lot of internet? Probably not a whole lot. Uh, But as we start getting into the older years where science is so much more important, they may have a greater need. So it's incumbent on the superintendent and the school board to work out the proper ratio and formula to decide how much of their internet budget they're willing to spend on high speed and at which locations. If they have separate campuses for a high school and the different elementary schools, then perhaps just the high school needs the high speed. But it's up to them to decide. And there may be factors that I haven't even thought to consider yet, but it's very important for those schools to really do an audit and decide where their money is best spent. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to what the city of Far is doing, we asked Mayor Far to be our guest on the show the future so hopefully that happens soon but in the show last august we had the mayor of san antonio ron nirenberg and i asked him what a local government can do to establish high-speed internet infrastructure and his answer was to make it a priority so the city of far is clearly doing this at the moment um and in a podcast with daniel luso from google fiverr which you mentioned earlier we learned that there is something in the texas utility code which hinders local governments from providing service to their res- their residents. Something about competition, but there seems to be a gray area. So would the Texas Utility Code affect broadband access in the Infrastructure Investment Act? No, it likely wouldn't. And the reason why is nothing prohibits a private sector from providing the same service. Uh, Mr. Lucio is correct. The, Typically utilities uh, such as, and there are not many that provide fiber level internet. We're really talking about Google, we're talking about AT&T. I think Spectrum is getting into that level as well. And they do not want to be competing against a city municipality. Uh, We we almost try to allow the market to take over as much as possible, but only in those instances where they refuse to provide service to a community would a city get involved. Um, so they cannot overlap them in terms of right, and they shouldn't. And if, if I was Google Fiber, for example, uh, if I knew I was going to compete directly with the city, the city is incentivized to give lower prices so that people will maybe uh, say reelect those uh, city council members. Uh, it's very hard for the private company to to want to go into that market, knowing that they're going to have to be competing uh, with the city that is ultimately going to control. Who gets the permits? Yeah. Um, and can the city compete with 
the private? In general, no. And gen general, that's not the practice of cities. Uh, could they, they could petition for an amendment to the code to allow them to do so. Uh, in my experience, the cities that have gotten into the high-speed internet business have done so only because the private sector was unwilling to invest in those areas. And what I mean by invest is actually laying down the line, bringing in the workers, you know, setting up the utility connections. Sometimes private companies do not want to do that because they don't think there's a sufficiently high market or demand to purchase their services. And that's, I think, why some cities look into investing in this, in, in this arena. Mm -hmm. um, and can a school district own a fiber optic line and network infrastructure to connect its schools to the internet? My understanding is that they cannot do that. Uh, mm -hmm. And there wouldn't be a, a rule in place that they'd have to have so many IT professionals because connecting to the internet is almost a national security item. It's, it's a very important connection. Can you imagine if a school did it on their own and uh, before you know it, they're mining cryptocurrency or there's all kinds of viruses going on back and forth through a school. Yeah, uh, the national uh, providers would have a, a very big problem with that. Okay, thanks, thanks for sharing. Um, and SpaceX has already launched rockets into space from Boca Chica. So this is a different topic, um, but we also wanted to talk about this with you. Um, and they plan to soon launch the super heavy rocket, the Starship, destined to Mars. From McAllen, the SpaceX launch site is about an hour's drive, yet schools remain far away from the communications infrastructure required to move forward. We believe a strong education to workforce pipeline is essential, and we've been discussing the idea of a place at Boca Chica where students can attend a camp, say, in the summer for a week, which for now we are calling Space Exploration Academy at Boca Chica. We did a show with Carolyn Carlos a couple of weeks ago um, and she worked in a similar effort for the school district at Manhorn, which led to a collaboration with Blue Origin. The district developed a program and curriculum under the P-TECH program grant approved by Governor Abbott to develop classes and skills, which can lead to graduating with a high school diploma and a college associate's degree. I heard that Elon Musk donated over 2 million to the Bronzeville ISD district and to other ISDs. Do you know what that money is being used for or what it will be used for? I think the different school districts that receive the, the Musk Foundation money have isolated different programs. Some have invested heavily in STEM, uh, others into other regional programs. There, it was up to the school districts to decide what they wanted to do with their, their grant. Uh, I know a number of them have been really pushing the idea of STEM um, because it's an area that we have a, a lot of need here in South Texas to, to develop our own scientists, our own engineers, our own doctors, our own nurses, so that we can replenish those that will be retiring from the workforce. And so we we just introduced the idea of the camp, the Space Exploration Academy. It's not fully developed, just an idea, and we think that it would be great if it came to our- Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I happen to, be able to give you access to a tiny little bit of land. It's not enormous, but mm -hmm. it's maybe about, oh, 100 feet by 80 feet. So they can certainly hold a bunch of tents. So if you and, and your folks are mm -hmm. interested, we can certainly talk offline about maybe y'all can camp out there for a couple of days. There are no facilities at all, uh, but you would be literally right next door to a rocket. So wow. if that's something that you're interested in, you know, let's certainly talk offline.
Okay. No, yeah, that would be awesome. That's a start. We, that, that can be the start of it. But so what are your thoughts on the idea of the Space Exploration Academy of Oca Chica? What do you think the impact would be? Do you see it happening? What are your thoughts? I, I think there's a lot of interest. I'll tell you what, I grew up at a time way after the space race had pretty much stopped, but certainly right when the space shuttle was getting going. And I remember being inspired by the idea of going into space. So certainly people in, in South Texas had the advantage of being able to drive through that area. And they'll, they'll see the manufacturing facilities on one side and be able to uh, see Starship on the right-hand side right before you get to the beach. You can do that now. So aside from those times where they're doing testing and they're about to do a launch, anybody can drive through there. It's, it's a public road. Now, as far as being able to watch a launch firsthand, there are a lot of FAA regulations about keeping a clear distance away from the launch site. And they do that for a number of reasons, especially when Super Heavy is getting ready to launch, um, from what I hear, sometime in the month of January. When it launches, nobody quite knows how impactful the launch will be. Will it affect uh, the glass in your car or your, your home if you happen to live on South Padre or Brownsville? Uh, will it affect your hearing in some way? So these are all things that we should probably maybe wait one launch to find out how it affects humans. Uh, but once that's done, certainly going to South Padre Island would, be, would offer many locations, including the amphitheater at Isla Blanca Park to be able to watch the launch. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities. And from what I understand, the projected launch schedule, once approved, it's going to be fairly consistent. So students in South Texas, including their, their teachers and parents, will all get a chance to watch a launch. Pretty soon in a few years, we're gonna just say, ah, oh, it's just another launch, that's all it was. Um, and can you see a proposal coming together to support a space exploration academy at Boca Chica? Depending on uh, who would you like to have that proposal with? Would it be with the state? Would it be with SpaceX? Uh, who are you thinking about? I think we're thinking of a combination of, yeah, I mean, the details are not yet like set, but I think we were thinking of a combination. I don't know, where do you, where do you see it going? Well, you know, there, there's some pros and cons. So the pros of, of asking the state, should you be successful? Uh, to create a space camp is that the the pro is that well they're they have pretty decent resources to be able to establish something out there the negative is is that now you have to open that up to every texan so you can imagine the number of millions of students wanting to apply to come down now don't get me wrong that's not a bad thing but would that drown out the app the application opportunity for people from south texas who live here but aren't able to get into the program because somebody from Houston or Dallas or El Paso beat them to it. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing something local and private where you maybe try to reach an agreement with SpaceX, they may be more amenable to something because this is a local audience. That's a good point. Thank you for sharing. Um, and now that we've talked about that, do you know of anyone or do you have an idea of someone at, at SpaceX who we could contact to talk about this? I happen to know a couple of people we can talk to. Okay. Would you like we, to hear it right now or, or we can talk no. offline? Yeah, you can share the names and yeah, if you could share the contact info later, that would be great too. You got it, we will do. Okay, thank you. And do you have any comments or questions for us about what we talked about today or STIC as a whole? 
Well, I think it's very important that given how COVID affected the ability for the public to access their state legislators and, and senators and representatives this past cycle, it was it was not as much fun because we are used to interacting with the public. And I think that's very important. So any chance that you get to get back to the Capitol or be involved in some of these campaigns, that, these elections that are about to take place, have your listeners be part of that process because that is how we affect change. It's not enough just to have a good idea. It's about having the, the ear of the person that can help get your idea across the finish line. So always stay engaged, always be reading the, the media and not just Facebook. I mean, like real periodicals, whether it's a Texas Tribune or the, or the Dallas Morning News to find out what's going on in this state so that we understand the politics behind it and the best approach to finding a solution that can help us here in South Texas. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining us today, Representative Dominguez. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Hey, hey, hey.